0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Arsenal Way. And yes, we have the third edition of the podcast on Arsenal Way, I believe it is. My first with
1: Kaya Kaida. Kaya, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Arsenal winning, top of the league. You know, the sun might not be shining anymore, but um, Arsenal's on top of the league. So that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think everyone at Arsenal was in a pretty good mood. And I think Sunday's game was definitely helpful. We're going to talk a lot about that today. If anyone wants to sort of linger on that period of joy, don't worry, we've got you covered and uh yeah, looking forward to this show as well. Of course, of course and before we delve
0: into the podcast, I just want to get your thoughts on, of course we've now reached the first international break of the season and it could really have gone any better for us, maybe 100% win record but except
1: from that, I think this is what we would ask for, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I mean, even that in itself is kind of a crazy sentence, it's like, well, you know, they could have had a 100% win record, it's like, yeah, that's... that's Pretty, i mean if you'd asked any arsenal fan at the start of the season would they be happy with 21 points for a possible 24 they'd have def was it 18 from 21 sorry yeah my maths has never been my strong point but um yeah i think they'd have definitely been very happy with that and what still is you look at that one game that they did lose against manchester united on i think every, you know another day they could very easily have won it themselves or at least got a draw from it so yeah, there's not been a game where Arsenal have been outplayed. There's not been a game where I'd say they've not been dominant for long periods. They've, they've been superb. And I think most Arsenal fans can see that. I think it's taking maybe people on the outside a little bit longer to catch up. And I think people are looking at the fixture list and saying, well, you know, they've had an easy fixture list. Um, you know, are they the real deal? But I don't quite buy that argument because if you look at Man City, for example, they drop points to Aston Villa, um, Spurs drop points. You know, it, it happens. you, teams do drop points against smaller teams and Arsenal haven't been doing that. Um, I mean, with all due respect to Manchester United, (laughs) but um, I think it's, 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 um, it's been a really good start to the season. Yeah. Um, I think aside from the results though, because I think what most Arsenal fans and, you know, I'm not someone who necessarily takes a big joy out of looking at the defence and constantly focusing on what other teams are doing, but interestingly enough, Teams like a Tottenham, for example, they do seem to be being spoke about a bit more seriously, and I think you know, a lot of um, pundits seem to be suggesting, oh yeah, they're dead certs for the top four, they're nailed on for Champions League. But I think that's based on the results they've been getting. But for me, it's more important. What's more important at this stage of the season is their performances, and I, I compare Arsenal's performances to a team like Tottenham, who are going to be a rival for them this season, and obviously the North London is coming up, so the comparison is is relevant. And I see an Arsenal team who are playing much better football, dominating games more, having more of the ball, creating more chances, conceding fewer shots and looking like a much better all-round team. And the Brentford game was just like a total crystallisation of that in the sense that they dominated almost from start to finish. Brentford are a team who have caused a lot of teams a lot of problems this season. And I think Arsenal didn't give them a sniff and asked themselves about issues going to Brentford, as I'm sure you know, everyone remembers from last season. And they, they dealt with that superbly. So, yeah. The start of the season has been top-notch. I don't think, personally, I could have asked for for too much more. If I'm being picky, I'm trying to go through moments in my head, maybe just a bit more clinical, maybe more goals, because, you know, Arsenal have won games, but in some cases they've not won them by the gigantic scorelines that I think their performances have deserved. So, again, this is why Brentford was such a great performance, because they were so clinical in that game. And if they can keep that streak up, then I, I don't know. I'm not at all suggesting Arsenal anywhere near a title race because I think that's kind of a ridiculous point but I do think the way Arsenal are carrying on if they keep playing like this then Champions League qualification is definitely within reach. Yeah I agree I agree I think a few more wins then maybe we can start
0: talking about the the title charge but of course it's still very early indeed and of course Kyle I believe you were at the game against Brentford on Sunday and of course Arsenal had the break because of of course the Queen passing away did the break almost, did you expect Arsenal to come out the blocks firing? Because I know an away game midday, it's usually tough to, to to get the boys going. But for Arsenal, they just hit the hit the ground running, didn't they? And they just straight away got on the front foot.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't expect it. I was I was a little worried going into the game. And um, we'll talk about Ethan Winery a little bit later yeah. on. But seeing him come off the bus, 15-year-old, 17-year-old Dino Serza, 17-year-old Rural Waters, you're thinking, OK, this squad's been stretched a little bit now. And we've not really seen Arsenal doing that this season. We've also not seen Arsenal come back from a defeat. I know they had the Zurich game in between, but they've not Mm -hmm. come back from a league defeat last season. Arsenal, when they lost games, they lost two or three at a time. Whereas this season, they do appear to have put that behind them from the sort of the limited sample size we've got. But yeah, I was worried going into the game because I thought they are not got Martin Odegaard. Zinchenko's been such a key player. They're missing him. Who knows how fit Thomas Partey is. Uh, Brentford is a team where Arsenal struggle. Brentford is the kind of game where Arsenal struggle. And Will they be a bit ring rusty obviously saliba also was not training for 10 days so he had injury problems you know will they be a bit um off it from the start but there was no question of that and i think this is one of them where in hindsight uh, you can say yeah the break did actually help so having 10 days off as opposed to the thursday sunday thursday sunday which we're going to see next summer next uh, month sorry when arsenal have nine games in the space of just october alone i think it really did help Arsenal to have 10 days because they could just focus on Brentford as an opponent. It was quite a unique game in the sense that this was going to be their only game in the space of, what, three weeks? That's very unusual, especially this season, of all seasons. So, yeah, I think the extra time did actually help Arsenal in the end. And obviously, that's something we can only say in hindsight. But I think it, it helped them because it allowed them to deal with everything that Brentford were going to throw at them. And they, they looked so well-prepared. And they every kind of threat that Brentford threw at them, they just looked like they were capable of of coping with it. And um, I think that is testament to the work that was done on the training ground in the build-up. And I think, you know, it kind of puts people who were nervous before the game, like myself, to, to shame because I think, you know, they, they proved that they're, they're more than capable of dealing with these these moments of adversity. I mean, I, I hesitate to call it adversity fully because I, I don't know how adverse the situation it was, but, you know, it was, it was the kind of game where last season Arsenal might have struggled. And this season... They, they came through with flying colours, so
0: very good. Came through with flying colours indeed. Now, aside from the scoreline, the 3-0 scoreline, Kyle, that was the main talking point. I think the other biggest talking point was Ethan Warneri. Now, of course, he became the youngest ever Premier League player, youngest ever Arsenal player to step foot on the pitch. What
1: a moment for him. Yeah, great. Um weirdly i've seen a lot of negative responses yeah. to it i'm sure you've seen them as well going around social media a lot of guys on um, i think on talk sports suggesting that maybe arteta was self-indulgent and bring him on maybe um they should have protected him a little bit more i personally don't see how you can really put a negative spin on this story i think it's a fantastic story i think there's a guy who's come through um his you know arsenal haven't really decided on a position for him i've seen Um, videos and articles going around suggesting that he's definitely a midfielder. They've not fully decided on that. He can play on the wings, he can play up front, he can play as a 6, an 8, a 10, loads of different positions. So they're still working out what he is, but in the position where he came in on the day, Arsenal were light in that position, so it wasn't as if they just called him up for the sake of it. The guy came into the squad because Arsenal were lacking in players, and the fact that Arsenal showed they're willing to, to give youth a chance in those situations if they feel they're good enough, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, Winery's been training in and around the first team since, I think, July, when some of the players were away on the international break. He came in and trained with the first team there. And I think Mikhail Arteta, clearly, as he said in his post-match press conference, liked what he saw. But as much as it was a fantastic moment for Winery himself, I think it's a great moment for the club as well. I think it's it's the kind of statement that you send out to other young players where you say, look, if you want to progress your career, this is the club to do it. And Arsenal are not going to be able to compete with the financial might of a team like Manchester City or, you know, Chelsea still are very rich with Todd Bowley in charge. Um, you know, Manchester United, financially, they won't be able to compete. So their way of sort of, to use a Raoul to outsmart the market is to come up with these young players and try and get the, the stars of tomorrow before they become the stars of tomorrow and and try and tie them down. And Ethan Winner is only on schoolboy terms. He's not signed to a scholarship or a professional contract to Arsenal right now so as things stand another team could come in and poach him for a relatively modest fee and Arsenal probably want to send a message to him they probably also want to send a message to other players around the academy who are thinking you know is this the best place for me uh, I was speaking to a lot of people around the academy sort of at the end of last season this season and we all saw uh, what happened with Murray Hutchinson. There's several other Arsenal players who left. And um the reason they left is they they cite is sort of a lot of Arsenal players were on the bench who were in the academy from the second in the second half of last season. They thought that was great. But at the same time, as much as it was a fantastic opportunity, they were sort of caught in between because they couldn't play for the twenty ones and get regular game time there. And they they didn't feel like they were ever going to get a chance in the first team. You know, Arsenal were going for the top four and they were often quite tight games. But I think there were occasions where Arsenal maybe could have done more to to give those young players opportunities to play. I think of the, the final day of the season where, you know, they only had three subs, of course, but it was very clear that Arsenal were going to win that game and that they weren't going to come top four. Maybe you can throw on a youngster in that situation. Obviously, you know, Lacazette needs to be given his farewell, but there were, there were other subs where you're thinking, I don't know, maybe Hutchinson can get a couple of minutes at the end of the game, or just introduce him in a sort of a nice environment. But Arteta decided not to, and I think that proved to be a turning point for a lot of last season's generation of under-21 players, and a lot of them have felt that they needed to leave. So um, Mika is has gone, Omar rekik has gone, um, Hutchinson's gone, Salah's gone, uh, Miguel Aziz has gone out on loan, uh, Zach Swanson's gone. Um, there's plenty of others who I'm sure I'm forgetting. Arthur Okwankwo's gone. There's plenty of others, and I think what Arsenal wary of is losing that reputation that they built up through the success stories like Bukayo Saka, like Emile Smith-Rowe, like Eddie Nketiah, which they've carefully cultivated of being this club that gives young players a chance and a club where if you're deciding on the next step in your career and you're 18, 19, and you're thinking, where should I go? You're thinking, okay, I'll stay with Arsenal because I might have a chance of playing here as opposed to a Chelsea or a, a City, who in fairness City have given some minutes to young players, but in the long run, you know, Phil Foden's kind of the only player to have come to their academy and stayed in the first team so for Arsenal this was about sending a message to clubs around the world uh, players in their academy and players who are thinking about joining their academy that look if you are good enough and if you train well and you apply yourself in the right way and you impress the manager you're going to get an opportunity to play it doesn't matter how old you are you will get first team exposure we're not going to go out and stop you from getting your chances and I think it's fantastic I think that's really good for Arsenal I think that's really smart and Maybe you could argue that area is sort of um, being used in that situation, but I think it's also a benefit for him. And yes, he will now have to deal with the pressure of being the youngest ever player. And if you look at the list of young players in the Premier League, that list, I think there was players like um, Izzy Brown was on there, yeah. um, Matthew Briggs at Fulham, Harvey Elliott. There's not that many players who, have, I mean, Harvey Elliott's probably the exception right now, but there's not that many players who have gone on to achieve their potential and it's about managing him very carefully and Arsenal have been very careful with how they've chosen to manage him. Obviously now he's sort of a national story. It's quite difficult to keep the the hype around him down but you know he's he's away with England under 17s now on a tournament so it's, it's good for him to I think step away from it. He's not massive on social media as well so he's got an Instagram account where I think it's got like six or seven posts on it. He's not on Twitter despite some weird people putting out fake tweets pretending to be him after the game so no, I, th- I think it's it's now just about managing expectations and being really careful with how they expose him. He'll probably play more with the 21s the season. I mean, he's been with the 18s as well. He's played a couple of games with the 21s. And he'll, obviously, when he comes back from England, he'll probably play a bit with the 21s where Mema Ali's side have been very clear that they want to imitate what the first team are doing in terms of the formation they play. So they play a 4-3-3. It's exactly the same as what Mikel Arteta does. to so just to acclimatise players to make that step up a little bit easier. And I think... They will be allowed to he will be allowed to develop in that environment where you know the the scrutiny is a bit less intense and Arsenal will maybe bring him into the squad work for Europa League games depending on on the the sort of the the injury situation. And I think it's I think it's great for him. I I, I really I'm struggling to see negatives that other people seem to be focusing on. I think it was a fantastic moment and it was literally for two minutes. Like it's not it's not it wasn't as if they were being disrespectful to Brentford or it wasn't as if they were um, sort of trying to to, to get in headlines. They just, they saw this guy who's very talented and they thought, you know what, let's give him his chance. And I, I think that's a positive story um, for Arsenal. And I think it's it's great for the academy as well. Yes, only positive, of course. I think it's an
0: excellent achievement being 15 years old and being able to make your debut in the Premier League. Of course, he wasn't able to train uh, he wasn't able to change sorry with the first team players due to due to the child regulation rules. And if he played in the Bundesliga, he wouldn't have been able to been able to allow to be played because you have to be 16 years old. So it is a phenomenal achievement for, for Ethan Wineri. But Kaya, in that game, it wasn't just a great achievement for Wineri. But I want to talk about Fabio Fiera because of course he scored his first goal for, for Arsenal. for was and a wonderful goal as so in his second half for Brentford. Now he came in to replace Martin Erdegaard. But Kaya, what can Fiera do because Erdogan's the club captain? So is there a way that Fiera can come into the team and become a regular star? Is it is he going to have to top Martin Erdogan? Is there another way he can potentially uh, change Arteta's mind to put him in from the start and in, on a regular basis? Keep playing like he did on a Sunday is probably
1: a way yeah. to do it. But I'm not someone who really subscribes to the the narrative that you sort of you have your set eleven and then there's nothing mm-hmm. else. And I think what Fabio Vieira coming in has sort of proved is that. That's not the case at Arsenal anymore and I think it's a really smart signing and this season as much as any other season is going to be a squad game so there's going to be games where Vieira's needed to start like Brentford and he's going to need to come in he's going to need to play well like he did so Erdegaard won't be fit for every single game um, because players like John McGinn are going to try and kick him off the pitch and you know his body's going to have to deal with that and having players like Fabio Vieira means that Mikel Arteta doesn't have to overburden him so it's a squad game for me. Uh, Vieira also is very versatile, can play you know, right eight, left eight, left wing, right wing, false nine, six, even played left back briefly for Porto. So, you know, he can play anywhere. And I think that versatility means he's going to get games and he's going to get minutes. So I think it's, I wouldn't worry too much about him sort of maybe not being part of the, the first 11 right now because it's such a fluid um, first 11, especially with the number of injuries that we're going to have across the season. Every single team is going to have to deal with injuries. And I think having squad players like Fabio Vieira, where when they come in, it's not really a step down. It's just a different step, mm. if you like. It's just a different player. So it's not like the, the quality is decreasing. It just means that Arsenal have a different type of player. Because he is very different to, to Martin Odegaard. I think he's a bit more, how would I describe it? He's, he's- erect. Yeah, more direct is a good way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, t- taking the example of the, the shot, I don't, I don't, I can't see Martin Odegaard taking that kind of shot from 30 odd yards, whereas Fabio Vieira did. And yeah, I think direct is a perfect way to describe him. I think he's he's a different player from Odegaard, and I do think that that's a positive. So there will be games where players like Fabio Vieira will be deemed necessary by Mikel Arteta, and it's a similar thing for me with the. The Tierney Zinchenko debate, sort of like, well, which one starts? are oh, Tierney's not starting. That means he's rubbish. That means we're going to sell him. It means his Arsenal career is over. Not for me. For me, it's a case of, right. Some games, like against Brentford, where it's going to be a bit rougher. You're going to have to deal with a bit more physicality. You're going to want someone like a Kieran Tierney who's a bit more up for the fight. Other games, like Leicester at home, for example, where you're going to have a bit more of a, a bit more possession of Bournemouth. You're going to have a bit more possession. It's going to be a bit sort of, you're going to be able to dictate the way you play a little bit more. Players like Zinchenko are going to be really useful for that. So I think Arsenal's squad is getting to a really strong point now where they are getting players who are of a similar quality in almost every single position. Yeah. It's not every position, and that's really important. We've seen that when Thomas Partey was injured, and, you know, Mohamed Elneny got injured as well, and Sambi Lukonga had to come in. And I love Sambi Lukonga. I think he's a great player, but I just I didn't think he was quite on the same level as a Partey. It's a difficult level to match. But look at right back, for example. There was a question about Ben White's fitness. If Ben White had been injured, who would have come in? Takerio Tomiasty, who was most, sign, most people's signing of the season last summer. Most people's player of the season last season. So that is something I think is um, positive for Arsenal. And I, I see uh, less and less each week. I see issues with the team. needs more I see exciting alternatives and exciting debates to be had. And I think for conversations like this, it, it's really fun. Because I remember last season when you and I, we'd be doing shows like this and we'd be sort of trying to debate the which team is it going to be? And we'd be like, oh, is it going to be Martelli or is it going to be Smith-Rowe on the left wing? And that was the only conversation we yeah. could have this season. It's, there's so many interesting debates to be had over the pitch. Will it be Fabio Vieira? Will it be Martin Odegaard? Will it be Tierney? Will it be Zinchenko? Will it be White? Will it be Tommy Tomiassi? Will it be Nketiah? Will it be Jesus? It's probably always going to be Jesus. Um, you know, debates like that, they're, they're fascinating. And I, I think that's the sign of a, a really good squad. And I think Arsenal are moving in a good direction and they've coped well with with every single player loss they've had to deal with this season, which they didn't do last season. And I think that's a, a massive um, step forward in the right direction for the guys.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Kaya, because when you look at, let's say, Manchester City's front three, I can't name you their their set front three. I think it yep. changes Foden, Grealish, Riyad Mahrez, Bernardo Silva sometimes goes there. You think on Liverpool centre-back partnership, is it Konate and Van Dijk or is it Matip yep. and Van Dijk? you're spoiling with that because I think you need that variety, but you need a, a challenge in a competitive variety at the same time. I think Arsenal, as you said, are building up with Sinchenko and Tini, of course, with Fierro and Erdogan potentially, Ben Benoit and Miyasu. So it is definitely a promising sign. I think it shows the development because, as you said, last season, it was either Martelly or Smith-Rowe, except from that, the other 10 were were basically decided. But before we do move on from the Brentford game, Kai, I do have to touch on this. Now, of course, Ivan Tony has... He's had a history with Arsenal due to the first ever Premier League game, of course, when Brentford beat Arsenal 2 0. He said, Nice kick about with the boys. And if you're familiar with the Amazon Prime All or Nothing Arsenal documentary, Arteta used it as motivation for Arsenal in the corresponding home picture where he put the tweet up in a big board and said, Look at this, guys. Tony said this. Let's go out there and embarrass him. And Arsenal won. And then Arsenal players ended up tweeting, Nice kick about as a as an act of revenge, almost, I remember Smith um, tweeting it out. And then on Sunday, once again, Arsenal beat Brentford. And Gabriel Magalhaes said, Nice nah, to go out with the boys to watch. To which uh, Tony replied and said, Look, the first time was funny. However, the second time is kind of cringy. Kaya, where do you stand on things? Was Gabriel right to tweet this out, or should he have just kicked back and said, Look,
1: it's over. The beef is done with. We'll move on from here. No, nah, I think, you know, if, if Ivan Toney wants to give it, then he kind of has to take it on that front. I don't think Gabriel did anything wrong. Um, I personally don't I don't think I would have done it. I think Toney does kind of have a point in the sense yeah. that that, that's, that moment's kind of passed. It's done. But if, if Arsenal motivate themselves that way and it helps them put in a performance where they win the game, then who cares how they do it? I think that's fantastic. I think that's a really positive thing. And I don't think Gabriel deserves any criticism for it at all. And unsurprisingly, he's come in for plenty of criticism from people who think that, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to have any sort of personality on social media. I think it's great when you see footballers interacting like this, as long as it's respectful, which I think it has been. I don't think it's been crossing any lines or anything like that. Then, I, you know, I think it's it's fine. Who, who cares? I, I did try and ask um, Mikel Arteta in the pre-match press conference sort of about that tweet and about whether he was going to try and use it again for motivation. He, he wouldn't really bite. He sort of batted the question away quite well with a, with a joke. But he did sort of confess that he wouldn't be too happy if one of his players put out a similar tweet like that. So I wonder maybe what his impression of it. I, I personally don't think he would have really cared. I don't think, you know, I don't think he'll be calling Gabrielle in for a meeting about how to use his Twitter account. I think it's just, you know, something that happened and yeah, I get what Tony's saying, but you know, if he wanted to tweet that out in the first place, then, you know, it was going to, it was always going to come back in because there was probably in the future going to be a time when Arsenal saw beat Brentford. And uh, yeah, I think you always have to be wary of those kind of things. It's interesting. I remember, um, going back to the Leicester season where Leicester won the league, and yeah, a bit of a segue. But, um, Arsenal, after they beat Leicester in the final minute on that Valentine's game day, they Valentine's Day game, sorry, they put out a big picture of them all in the dressing room celebrating. And it, it was you, you did get the feeling that you know, maybe they felt that you know, oh, we've beaten Leicester and Leicester will, Leicester will fall away now, you know, this is going to happen, this is the end of them. and I've heard plenty of people say it. Jamie Vardy said it. Robert Hood said it. That, that was essentially Leicester's team talk from then until the end of the season. I don't think Leicester lost another game or season. So, yeah, those kind of things do have an impact. And if, if it helps you get an edge and if it helps you provide motivation, then great. You know, whatever works. It's fantastic. And I think, you know, I think it's I think it's a good thing. I, th- I think it's funny, to be honest. And I don't think it needs to be anything more than that. It's just a funny thing on the day. And I don't think it needs to really be it's extrapolated into this massive thing I, I don't think it's that big a deal myself I, I don't know maybe you think differently but I just I don't think it's that big a deal
0: yeah I agree harmless banter I think maybe if we continue to do it it'll get a bit ridiculous maybe if we beat them again and Gabriel tweets it again I think now it should just be nips in a bud I think we had to win 2-1 almost two games to one then, and now we can call it a day but we shall see from there okay let's talk about um, Granite Xhaka now of course his career at Arsenal has had its ups and had its downs. But right now I think it's the highest it has ever been. He's absolutely he's been absolutely phenomenal in that new role he's been given. And comments have resurfaced on, on, on Twitter and, and other social media platforms when Lars C talked about how Mika Arteta persuaded him to to stay at the club. And with his performances just in the early weeks of the season, it's proven to be a real blessing, isn't it, that we did actually decide to keep him.
1: Yeah, for sure. He's he's been he's been superb and um I think you could easily argue that he's been Arsenal's player of the season so far. Yeah. I, I don't think that's too unreasonable to say. And I I, I didn't give him Man of the Match against um, against Brentford because I thought Saliba had a superb game. But I, I, he was definitely very close second. And, um, yeah, I think Jack has been superb the whole season. I think it's interesting that, you know, those there's, there's quotes from Arsene Wenger about Jack being a box-to-box midfielder have been doing the rounds. And, you know, I think we're finally now all seeing what he meant. I think a lot of us in our heads had categorise Xhaka as this deep-lying playmaker who needed to have the whole game in front of him and needed time on the ball and I think when he was coming close to leaving in fairness those quotes from a little bit before but when he came close to leaving to Roma for example I was one of the people who thought maybe that'd be a good move for him because in the Italian league you get that time you can pick your head up you can play a pass and I thought that would suit his game I never saw this side to his game where he'd be box to box getting up and down the pitch contributing to the attack picking out assists scoring goals on some occasions, um, you know, really affecting teams with his runs into the box and also helping the defence where possible, getting back to make clearances. I didn't think he had that mobility in him. And, you know, I, I owe Granite Jacker an apology because I, I got it wrong. And, you know, I, I think most people will say the reason they were so critical of him is because he was asked to do things that I don't necessarily think, were his strength, particularly under Unai Emery, where he was basically asked to be a lone defence midfielder and deal with the entirety of an attacking team in transition. And that wasn't his game. And there were massive gaps between the attack and the defence. And he is a sort of a lone island in the midfield, was asked to to fill those gaps. And I think that was, in retrospect, very unfair and not really what was needed to get the best out of him. And yeah, credit to Mikel Arteta, because I think he's getting the best out of us him and this 4-3-3 system is really working but also credit does have to go to Granite Xhaka because he himself admits that you know the whole getting into the box getting on the end of crosses and stuff isn't his natural game I think he'd say that but he's adapted for the team and I, there's, there's lots of players who would say nah this isn't my game you're not playing to the best of my abilities I'm not doing this Granite Xhaka is knuckled down he's been a great influence in the dressing room apparently he's I mean from what I hear around the training ground you know sources there you, you hear that he's you know one of the most influential people and we saw that in the Amazon documentary as well he's had an influence on people like Ethan Winnery as well where he's doing his training badges he's coaching the under 16s he's really immersed himself into the Arsenal culture and I think the extra mile or the extra yard we're seeing from from Jacka comes from the fact that he now feels the love in return from the Arsenal fans and. We saw at the end of last season when he was taken off on that final day against Everton. Samuel Conga replaced him. He got a massive standing ovation from everyone. At Bournemouth away, you saw the first murmurings you could hear of the We've Got Granite Jacker chant. Sunday at Brentford was the first time for a prolonged period of time. The Arsenal fans in that away section were singing We've Got Granite Xhaka for a really, really long time. And at the end he went over, he sort of was holding his hand up to applaud them. It was it was it was a beautiful moment and it's a really nice sort of 180 that they've managed to do because yeah he was out the door and I, I don't blame him because um, I think a lot of people on that day and I think he you know may have handled things differently I think the fans may have handled things differently I think Emery may have handled things differently there were lots of things that built up to that day at Crystal Palace it wasn't just a one-off event I think the the captaincy decision in terms of waiting for ages to give him the captaincy and putting it to a player vote and not coming out and saying you know Granit Xhaka is my captain now Kershawny is left. Things like that, I think, didn't help the situation. Playing him out in a position that didn't get the best out of him, as we said before, didn't get, didn't help the situation. But now he's playing in the position where we see the best from him. The squad, the players, absolutely love him. The manager and the coaching staff absolutely love him. And now the fans love him too. And I think now he's feeling that love. He's giving it back, and he's he's you know he's one of those players who I uh, I think is the first name on the team sheet for Arsenal. You know, he's played every single game, and apart from a period last season where he had a real freak in the injury, he's going to be fit for every single game. He can play 90 minutes every three days, which is remarkable. He's an amazing professional. And yeah, you're looking for things to talk negatively about Granite Jacker right now. And it's hard. It's hard to come up with things. Whereas before, I think genuinely you could quite easily have maybe come up with a list, which wouldn't have taken you too long. Now, I think, you know, there's, there's very few things you can say negatively about him. And I think he deserves immense credit for the way he's won everyone over. And long may it continue, because I think if he keeps playing the way he's playing, it's going to be very difficult for opposition teams to deal with him because they're expecting this deep line player and Granit is not that anymore. So I think it's, yeah, I think I've been saying it a lot today, but I think it's fantastic. Another fantastic thing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great time to be to be covering Arsenal, a great time to be covering Granit Xhaka too. Absolutely. I think everyone loves the redemption art story,
0: and Granit Shaka epitomizes that basically. But, but okay, what I find interesting is I think it's the end of this moment for next month. Granit Shaka turns 30 years old, and in the team, he'll become the first 30 30 uh, year old player in, in Mark Mccarthy's preferred starting 11. Would you like? And I think I always say this I feel like Arsenal are moving on to the next stage of their development in a real building process where it's less about signing complete youngsters, but signing players who are almost already at the stage where they're ready to come in and compete. And with Xhaka being 30 years old, you need those type of players in your team, don't you, if you're going to compete for the biggest trophies, rather than having just a team of youngsters who are building the team up. Yeah, you can't just have a team of
1: 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds all the time. What I, what I would say about those players that Arsenal brought in last summer, all the young ones, I think it's interesting that, yes, you know, in terms of birth certificates and stuff, they, they were young, but they were players who'd all had at least one or two seasons of first-team football under their belts. And even with the young guys who'd been brought in this summer, Fabio Vieira, for example, had a a season of first-team football, well, more or less a season of first-team football with Porto under his belt. These are guys who haven't come from nowhere, but they need a bit of a helping hand along the way. And we saw that last season. It was interesting in Amazon documentary to see that, you know, Xhaka in that Newcastle game when Arsenal were a a bit rabbit in the headlights, you know, they had injuries, there were lots of Reasons why they struggled in that crucial Newcastle game, but also Granite Xhaka was one of the people saying, "Look, guys, we need to we need to pull our fingers out here." And he played, I think personally, I think I might have given him a man of the match on the night. I can't remember; it's a long time ago. I've tried to erase that night from my memory, <laughs> unsurprisingly. But yeah, I think you need guys like that who are leaders, and you need guys like that who set the tone and who aren't afraid to sort of call people out when they're not up to standard. And I think that's yeah, I think leaders like Granite Jacker are needed in the squad, a bit of experience and players like him and Elneny, you know, they're not always the most popular or fashionable of players, but they're needed around the group because of the way they applied themselves and I think Mikel Arteta really appreciates having them in the group. So, yeah, I think that mixture of experience combined with the, the positivity of the youth coming through, it's 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 a good blend right now and, yeah, it was interesting this summer that they went for a slightly older profile in players like Zinchenko and Jesus who were ready to deliver right now and i do think that is the next the next step on the on the project but um yeah it's it's, it's good and i think granite You know, he's only got what 18 months left on his deal i think so it'll be interesting yeah. to see whether arsenal look to extend him or you know how the project factors into that but i can't see him leaving anytime soon
0: yeah we shall see and another player's contract who has been highly scrutinized in the summer is william sleeper now of course Start of the season, he's been almost he's been a Rolls Royce. If we're being honest, arguably one of the best defenders in the Premier League so far that we've seen uh, performance-wise. Kai, are you worried about his current contract situation, or or do you, are you are you feeling more relaxed because recently he did admit that Arsenal does feel like his home.
1: Yeah, I think that the it's interesting to compare this one to Bukayo Saka's contract extension and. Mm-hmm. Bakar Saka's contract extension. Mikel Arteta has come out several times and said, "I'm confident we can get it done." Bakar Saka himself said he shares that confidence. Contrast that to where he talks about William Saliba when he's talking about the contract; he's not quite as overtly confident. He doesn't quite he doesn't as sort of forcefully put out those messages saying, "You know, we're, we're pretty sure this is going to get done," like he did with the Aubameyang deal all those all those years ago. I remember sort of whenever we were asked whenever he was asked about the Aubameyang deal, he would say, "No, I'm confident it's going to happen," and it did happen. And similar with Saka, it probably will happen. Um, Saliba, not quite as confident in Arteta's messaging. I'd be interested to just dig up a few quotes. It it hasn't seemed as concrete to me. I don't know if it seemed different to you, but um, I thought it was definitely a positive for Saliba that he says he feels like it's at home. I think it's fantastic for him that he feels like he's been taken under the wing so quickly. Because I think the worry for him was when he came back was when's he going to play? Because we all saw... This first choice back fall from last season, and we thought, well, where's he getting in? Because is he going to pick them White out the team? Is he going to kick Tommy Asu out the team? Is Gabriel going to drop out? As it turned out, Tommy Asu got injured, and Saliba's been undroppable ever since. So he's he's earned his place in the starting lineup. He's earned the adoration he's got from the fans. And you know, I'd be surprised if if we see him commit to a deal before the World Cup, because if you're looking at it from a negotiation point of view. And France are a team who have a squad that's definitely capable of winning the World Cup. And you know, if he keeps playing for Arsenal, which you assume he will, then Saliba will go to the World Cup with France. Then, if he comes back and is this twenty-one-year-old World Cup winner who is probably been the best centre-back in the Premier League this season, yeah. his agent quite rightly will come to Edu and say, "Look, whatever you, whatever wages you were thinking, let's add another few zeros onto the end of that." And you know, I, who can blame him? I think that's that's a, a smart negotiating stance. So. Am I worried about the fact that his contract hasn't been signed yet? No, because I do think that his agent would be foolish not to, well, not foolish, but it would be, it's more wise of him to wait to see what happens with the World Cup and see what happens there and see if, you know, there's more of a positive negotiation stance going forward. But I think it does seem like the player's happy. It does seem like he would be willing to sign. So it's now just about seeing what happens, um, not panicking with the Saliba deal, as Arsenal fans like to do when it comes to contracts of players. Even when there's positive things going on, there's still something to be worried about. But I think it's 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 good, and I think you know hopefully that Saliba deal can get sorted relatively soon. Because if Arsenal tie him down, if you look at the prices that centre backs have gone for this summer, look at Fofana to Chelsea, seventy five million, and a team wants to come in and buy Saliba, you're looking at a lot more than seventy five million to buy William Saliba, which is making the most expensive centre back in, in world football history. So I think tying him down to a a long-term contract on, you know, the wages that I'm sure he will quite rightly demand will be a positive for Arsenal. And um, I think, you know, the the sooner they can get it done the better. But as I said, I'm not surprised that from Saliba's side of things, him and his camp, are just wanting to wait it out and just see what the circumstances are until maybe December time. And then we'll see what happens there. Yeah, it does make sense to do after the World Cup, of course. I mean, you explained it
0: perfectly there that the World Cup could definitely increase his stock. But, Kyle, in terms of level of importance of getting Saliba's contract tied down, how important is it in terms of comparing it to recent contract extensions in recent history? Of course, we've had Pierre-Micobamyang's major contract deal, Mesut Azil's uh, contract deals all in recent years, Smith Rowe, we tied him down, we managed to tie him down, Saka, we're getting to that stage now. But in terms of William Saliba and his potential future, as an Arsenal player, where would you place on an important scout to get him done?
1: Pretty high. I think because he's such a talented young defender and he's been so good for us at the back this season. If they were to lose him, which, you know, you'd assume they'd lose him next summer when they have only one year left in this deal and it'd be for a relatively low, uh, well, a fee that would be lower than what he's worth. I think you put yourself in a position where Arsenal are trying to reinvent themselves in the transfer market as being a side who are not the team who let their star players go for cheap anymore and not the team who pay their unwanted players to lead. So if you're Arsenal and you're trying to sort of, I guess, uh, redefine yourselves to the rest of the world as this serious operator in the transfer market, I think letting someone like Saliba go for less than he would be worth would be detrimental to that. Personally, I do think signing up Bakaya Saka is more important, but William Saliba's is not far behind and yeah, Gabriel Massanelli is another one who they want to get signed up to. So all three very important. But I think it's in terms of the message it sends out to the rest of world football. If you're able to tie a talent like Saliba down, he will be able to pretty much go, I think, to any club in the world quite rightly and say, look, I can get into your starting 11 and I think I can improve your team. If you tie a player like that down and he commits himself to Arsenal and he commits himself to the project, that's a great message to be putting out there. And I think it's a positive for Arsenal. And if you're looking at trying to attract other people to come from around the world, if you've got the best young players in your team, then that's only a bonus. And people will want to come and play with players like Saliba because he is so good. And I think that's definitely a, it would be a great message for Arsenal to send to to the rest of the world. Yeah, there's no denying his ability
0: whatsoever. Now, of course, we spoke about Saliba's World Cup chances. But before we do get to the World Cup, Kaya, there is a September international break, which we're currently in the middle of right now, which I know as Arsenal fans, is not the greatest thing considering our form. But some of our players are going and some of our players are staying. Just, Kaya, how worried are you about players like Thomas Partey, for example, who's just coming from injury, going to play for Ghana? But Kaya Saka, who's been used a lot, going to play for England, Kieran are going to play for Scotland, of course. How worried are you about the potential injury chances and how it could disrupt Arsenal's season going into the World Cup break? Um,
1: yeah, the, the one that worries me, I guess, the most would probably be Partey, mm-hmm. just in terms of, I think the midfield looked like it had more control on Sunday and I think he was a big part of that. So, managing his fitness will be key and ideally keeping him available will be important so he'd be one I'd be worried about Saka another yeah you know you don't want him to 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 pick up any injuries while away with England and hopefully that won't happen um is another who might be going out to Norway might be joining them for one game appears like he's going to be going there whether it's sort of in a playing capacity or not so maybe if I mean if I were the Arsenal sort of coaching staff I'd want Norway to tread very lightly with Urdegaard with because it's not as if Norway have got the World Cup coming up. You know, these are friendly games for them and they, they know what he can offer. But at the same time, you know, Stella Stolbeck is trying to build a new squad and style of play and, you know, that Urdegaard-Haaland partnership is something he'll want to work on and all that kind of stuff. So they'll have their reasons. But um, yeah, I, I suppose if I had to put like a uh, an order of worriedness, is that, if that's a word, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah Partey would probably be the one I'm, I'm most concerned about just because I don't think there's a light-for-light light replacement in the squad right now, particularly with Nenny being injured. Sambi can play there, but I don't think he's quite ready to play in that position in sort of big Premier League games just yet. Just not that I don't think he will be, because I, I think he's a really talented player and I'm wary of the fact that whenever you criticise Sambi, a lot of people take that as sort of being like, oh, we've written him off, he's he's rubbish, he'll never be good enough for Arsenal. I don't think that at all. I think he can really contribute to that left-eight position right now. If you look at the way Granit Xhaka is doing it, I think Sambi can come in and play that role relatively similarly to i just don't think he's quite a six yet and i think there's very few players around his age who can play that six position because it's a a position that you you learn with experience and i think you know the errors that he committed if you call them errors against man united whereas bad positioning and the pass where he played you sort of you learn when with experience you sort of you can't be that high up the pitch or you can't play those kind of passes in those areas of the pitch against teams like manchester united and that comes with experience so i think yeah, um, Party would be the one I'm probably most worried about, but Saka's not too far behind.
0: Yeah, so I just want to change topics there because it's interesting you mentioned Sambi. I just want to stick on Sambi just for a little bit higher because we think we're almost hindering Sambi's development by putting him on in, in the number six position. I know El Elneny's injury, of course, is walking him into that position, but if you move him to the number eight, keep him there. Is that not better for his development but if we keep playing in the number six will that maybe disrupt him in terms of his growth and of course in as for a future Arsenal player because we're always going to assume that he's a number six rather than a number eight?
1: Um, Maybe but what I'd say to that is what else can Arsenal do right now? Yeah. If, if you look at the Europa League games which is where Sami's probably going to get most of his minutes between now and the World Cup um, there's no one else who can play in that position. The plan was to have nenny is the 6th and Sambi is the eight, and getting more minutes on the pitch, getting learning from Elneny, that defensive side of the game and also, you know, adding his attacking side of the game and, you know, continuing his incredible passing, progressive passing, which I think is a real skill of his. But, um, you know, circumstances have, have, have worked against Arsenal in that front and they tried to bring in Douglas Luiz in the final day to the transfer window and I guess, you know, part of that was to maybe try and keep Sambi in the further forward and allow him to develop a bit more organically. But, um, you know, circumstances have played their part, and it's, it's just it's an, it might be an evil, but it's a necessary evil for Arsenal right now. And come January, they might look to revisit that position. Danilo is a player who they would, you know, potentially look at re resigning in, uh, well, sorry, having another go at signing in January, although his form's fallen off a little bit since, um, since those links. But, yeah, I think, you know, there's not much they can do about that right now. As, as much as I, I, I do agree, playing him further forward is probably better for his development. I just don't think there's anything they can do. And um that's yeah, that's just something he's gonna have to do. He's gonna have to learn quickly in that position. It's just gonna be the way it is, I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. And just touching back before we do end the podcast, guys, just touching back to the international
0: break. Of course, we talked about the players who are going with their nations. Let's talk about the players who are not going. Surprisingly, Gabriel Jesus, of course, Gabriel Martinelli, um, of course, also Ben White. I think Ben White almost almost made a statement uh, for in against Brentford, but I should have been going to that England squad. Kai, sometimes is it a blessing that players do go to the nations because it can enhance their confidence? Let's say, for example, the World Cup Martinelli goes, scores for Brazil in the World Cup semi final. That can only enhance his performances going into the last six months for Arsenal, couldn't it?
1: Yeah, you look at those Brazilians in particular. And for Brazilians, playing in the World Cup or being in the World Cup squad for your national team, that's the highest honour in football for, for them, you know. And I think if Martinelli gets in that World Cup squad, He'll be flying. He'll be emo- emo- his emotionally, he'll be through the roof. And if he doesn't, he'll probably be very disappointed. And, you know, that might take him some time to get picked up off the floor. And if Brazil go away and do well, of course, he'll be happy. But he'll be thinking, oh, I'd have loved to have been part of that. So, but in fairness, you know, it's not as if Arsenal are not giving their Brazilians a chance to play. You know, Gabriel, Gabriel Marcelli and Gabriel Jesus are playing every single week, they play every single game. So I think um, there's not much more Arsenal can do to help them get to the World Cup. But, yeah, I think um, for for those guys, for those three, all three of them going to the World Cup would be good for us. But I don't think it'd be good for them to to stay and have to watch because I think they'd much rather be there and be part of it. So hopefully um, Tite does take them all. Um, if you look at the rest of the team, I think everyone wants to be going to the World Cup. Saliba is an example. He'd want to go to the World Cup with France because I think they've got a decent chance of winning it. Um Ben White would probably have wanted to go to the World Cup with England, but I think he, you know, Gareth Southgate seems to have decided for some reason that he thinks there are better centre-backs out there and maybe him playing right back is part of it. I don't know. But he might be a bit frustrated by that. But listen, every every player wants to be going to the World Cup. There's no question about that. But um, there are some players where it would definitely be a lot worse for them to, to not go and other players where I feel like maybe not the end of the world if they don't. Yeah, absolutely. I think
0: for the youngsters, they have more time to, of course, make another World Cup But I think it's maybe for the older, more um, experienced players who could maybe not be able to go to another World Cup. It would definitely uh, harm them even more. But yeah, the Ben White exclusion for me makes no sense. We're playing five at the back. Ben White ben at right centre-back, sorry, is literally the perfect player. But I suppose Southgate has his decisions to make and uh, not always easy. But we are going to end the podcast there. Kai, as always, thank you for, for,
1: for joining me on uh, for today's episode. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. And thank you, everyone, for listening and now watching as well. Um, uh, Give us feedback on these podcasts. These are still early doors. So we're still trying to learn what we're trying to do with them. So if you enjoyed it, let us know. If you didn't, let us know as well. But do that nicely, please, because, you know, we're sensitive. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And yeah, thank you again, Bailey, for, for having me on.
0: Absolutely, thank you for jumping on. Before we do, do you want to plug anything you've got coming out, Kai? Is there anything uh, fans should should be on the lookout for?
1: Um, this weekend, women's North London derby. Uh, so we're gonna have we're gonna go big on the coverage of that on football. We've got coverage of your side of us press conference, coverage of the game, live coverage, player ratings, post match stuff. All of that. It's gonna be a massive event. Forty eight thousand tickets sold already at the Emirates. If you haven't got your ticket, um, do try and buy one. That's and if you don't buy a ticket, make sure you are on football. London. Watching the game or following the game, via we will bring you all the, the 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 most comprehensive coverage out there. So we'll be we'll be going big on that this weekend. It's going to be a massive event, and hopefully, as many of you guys can get involved as possible. Absolutely, one well, not to miss, guys. Make sure you tune in for that. It's a big game
0: for for the Arsenal win, of course. So make sure you tune into that, guys. Thank you for joining us. As Kaya said, if you like the video, make sure to leave a like, of course. Leave feedback in the comment section below, and most importantly, make sure you keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh